Madden Luke's Sci-Fi Sanctuary. The year is 3013. The galaxy is scintillating in the mellow light. Two galactic pilgrims seek out vistas in the samurai future to bring forth the unity of the cosmic shaman. Opening the door of the pantheon of mystics, the evil sorcerer wizard powers the engine of science, seeking to forever alter the sacred balance, traveling on effervescent balls of summer fire. This week, Avatar. In the year 2009, James Cameron could see you. Oh, the delivery is all wrong, though, isn't it? I see you. Yeah. Pleading, kind of pleading, right? Well, I'm not James Cameron. Okay. <laughs> That, I wish true. I was James Cameron. You're so, listening to James Cameron Month in the Sci-Fi Sanctuary. I'm not James Cameron, but I'm Luke. This is Matt. You already said where we are. That's right. Would you prefer to have an avatar or a surrogate? Oh, avatar for sure. Okay. It'd be difficult to go to the mall with an avatar, though. They're yeah, really I, tall. I don't need a surrogate because I'm already like buff and handsome. Okay. You only need a surrogate if you're a schlub. <laughs> So, today's film is kind of the reason we're doing a Cameron month. It's uh, Avatar, in preparation for later this month, Avatar, The Way of Water. And we're joined by the man who does a full Avatar podcast, Sivako, The Road to Avatar, Sean Alexander. Say hello. Uh, Hello, everyone. (laughs) Thanks for having me on. Yeah, no, thanks for joining us. Um. I have been listening to your podcast, not every episode, because I don't want to see, I don't want to hear or see anything about the new film. I want to go in as blind as possible. Um, But I've listened to some of the episodes about the previous film and both the Terminator episodes, because T2 is my favorite film of all time. Um, And you always start your episode by asking your guests their history with Avatar. But Mm. I'm actually very interested to hear your history of Avatar. How does someone go you know, the step of making an Avatar podcast. Yeah, like, it's kind of a weird thing to be like, oh, yeah, I'm just going to do a podcast just solely on one film and Mm. (laughs) see where I can branch off from there. So my history with it is I saw it in 2009. I saw it, I was 17 at the time. Um, Actually, I either saw it 2009 or 2010. It was in that sort of Christmas New Year period. Right, right, right. And it was, yeah, it was like one of those films that, at the time, it really stood out as being amazing. I then felt like I didn't visit it again because people didn't revisit it unless it was at the cinema, really. Mm. And it came to about, I think it was when I was at university about four or five years ago, and a lecturer mentioned to me an essay on Avatar, and I read it, and I was like, oh, that's kind of cool. And then the 10-year anniversary came around in 2019, and I wrote an article about it about how uh, what's happened to Avatar since then. And they'd done the theme park in Florida, done the rides. I love that stuff. Amazing. Really good if you get a chance to go do it. And yeah, it kind of branched from there that I was like, I'm just going to keep revisiting it. And I watched it like a couple of times over the first like COVID lockdowns. And it was incredibly enjoyable. It was one of those ones that I felt like you could just like leave in 
Omad in the background and just have a good time wherever you jumped in on it. And yeah, I kind of just decided from there to be like, okay, what does it mean that the, you know, this is the biggest film of all time, box office wise. Why, why is it the biggest film? And like, how can you use that as a way to reflect on the whole industry? You know, mm. how, how did Cameron get to where he was to make Avatar? Yeah, I also watched it 2009, slightly older than you. I think I would have been 18, 19 when it came out. Um, And yeah, I get what you mean. It's not a film. It's a film that you want to have the best possible experience with. So I didn't watch it over and over like I would say T2. I have caught it in the intervening years, I think, on TV a couple of times. Um, And then, yeah, in preparation for this, I picked up the Blu-rays and... Like three nights ago, I watched the extended edition. And then last night I watched the theatrical cut. Um, But yeah, that was probably the first time watching it in five, six years. But between rewatching it, listening to your podcast, watching some YouTube stuff, I've gone from, oh, I like that film. That was a cool action film with nice characters to like, oh, actually, this film had some stuff to say. And I think this is a really good film. (laughs) So, yeah, I've really developed my love for Avatar. And now I'm very excited for the new one. Yeah, I had the uh, 2009 movie rush. Maybe it's opening night. I don't remember. I'm 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 way older, so I was already like married and stuff. And I do remember that um some friends came by. We were gonna go see it in 3D or whatever. And then my wife started to get like the flu, so he set up her up in a chair and went to see um Avatar while while she had to watch Revenge of the Nerds Two: Nerds in Paradise. <laughs> a very different movie. <laughs> yeah, just a, just a touch. <laughs> yeah, they're speaking. You know, some people are like, "Oh, Avatar's you know cultural positioning is weird or whatever." But yeah, yeah, I I think we've all decided to like forget the Revenge of the Nerds franchise exists at all, possibly. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe for the best. Yeah. Oh, it is for the best. I I heard. Sorry, I, I just heard a few years ago they actually were going to do a remake, and somewhere in the remaking of it, the uh, the studio execs were like, "What the hell are you doing?" and just pulled the plug. <laughs> <laughs> Rightfully so. Look, it's <laughs> those films have questionable morals. <laughs> yes, and that that takes some doing for the studio to say, "Let's not reboot a franchise." <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there'd been some other complication. No, I think it was like the university was like, "What are you doing?" And then the studios, "Yeah, what are you doing?" So they <laughs> they gave up on that. This one, of course, uh, is you know, fame a, a world to dive into, and and hopefully, I guess watching it last night or or whatever, I was like, "Oh yeah, this really does need some sequels because uh, there's a lot of corners unexplored." Um, as far as the the side videos, I I put on YouTube. Luke, can you guess which video I put on as my... Uh, you watched a bunch character? of videos of the theme park? That's right. And the uh, animatronic uh, shaman is, is really cool. So Yeah. Mm. It's so cool. That's like one... I think that's the thing that like re-sparked my interest. I went in like the first like year period that it opened in Florida, and I was like blown away. I was like, wow. <laughs> I didn't expect it to be this good. This is and I've been since and done like Star Wars Land and all that sort of stuff. And Pandora is still better than that by a long stretch, like the immersion of it. Yeah, I have heard that is a you need to be there thing because of the the lighting and such where is I I found very nice quality videos on YouTube, but yeah, it's a little different, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Um so Luke, I guess here's where we're going to 
plug in that little just refresher because there's probably a few people listening that maybe have not watched Avatar for a few minutes. So here we go. Sully is a wheelchair-bound marine who finds himself in his brother's place on the forest moon of Pandora. In the Avatar program, he joins scientists Grace and Norm in piloting alien bodies to study the unique biology and ingratiate themselves with the native Navi. While the scientists just want to learn and make peace, Colonel Quaritch and company man Selfridge want the Navi moved so they can mine for unobtainium. Jake agrees to feed them information. Jake gets lost in the forest and is nearly killed by Neytiri, a Navi hunter, before a seed of the forest stays her bow. She takes it as a sign from Ewa, the consciousness of the forest and deity of her people. Jake is invited to join the clan. He learns their ways and language, but as he finally begins to appreciate and understand their deep connection to the forest, his information is acted on. Quaritch 911's the people's home tree, and Selfridge moves in the bulldozers. Jake is ousted. To return to the people and unite them, he must bond with the biggest, baddest dragon and become Taruk Makto. Only then can the humans be cast out and Jake fully transferred from his human body to his blue one. This one's weird, uh, just cast-wise, because we have a lot of big stars. But the biggest star, um, Worthington, is Sam Worthington. Is he? He's kind of a weird Hollywood. I don't. He's not quite a flash in the pan because he's in like ten major blockbusters, right? But it was kind of like there was a year of Sam Worthington, and then there wasn't anymore. <laughs> I think he's perfect here because it couldn't be a big star. Like, if it had been someone we already knew from a bunch of other stuff, you'd just be looking at him the whole time. I was like, oh, look, it's Leo DiCaprio doing Leo DiCaprio stuff. But because he's he was basically an unknown in Avatar, he was just a blank slate. And the character has to, is a blank slate. That's the point of the character. He's an empty cup, as he says. So I think he worked here because, like, yeah, he's just about got leading man charm, but he wasn't a popular leading man. Um, then, Titans, maybe not quite so much because yeah after maybe, avatar i don't know maybe he like mark hamill because he did he had a couple of films but then he did pretty quickly disappear maybe just because Dave, james cameron's had him locked in a basement making avatar 2 for 10 years but <laughs> <laughs> yeah that could be the case you know you, you thought kubrick was out for you watch out for james cameron <laughs> but because yeah after this what was it like um clash of the titans kind of crap Terminator Salvation, maybe there was a chance for him to be good in it, but then Christian Bale was like, no, actually, I'm the star. <laughs> right out all of he his scenes like, from the conclusion. 
is literally like I am the star and calls like the most fuss on set as well because that's when he did it all the uh, that's yeah the famous the, uh, rant yeah <laughs> yeah apparently he like basically rewrote the script so that John Connor would be the main hero and Sam Wellington's character got like written out for the final act yeah I think we just based I'm looking at his um film that's basically his now. career right then he that's... does a, is, isn't there a sequel to Clash of the Titans Wrath mm-hmm. uh, of the Titans yeah. yeah. Yeah, I didn't see that one. I didn't even know that existed. Okay. Uh, was, I think that yeah. kind of shows you, though, that, you know, so obviously, like, he kind of started off, you know, Avatar was like his first big break, aside from, I think Terminator might have come out the same year, which is I think weird. James Cameron put him on Terminator, though. So it must probably it he must filmed been... Avatar first, but then it took a bazillion years to do the effects, to be fair. I think that's how it worked out. And clearly, they whoever uh, was looking at this casting for Avatar was like, "Man, we should just get on the Sam Worthington guy. We don't know who he is. Just get him in." Uh, <laughs> but it kind of shows, like, yeah, what do you do once you like headline the biggest film, like the biggest box office film? Do you go and try and do more big box office hits? And clearly, the answer was kind of no. Don't well, try and maybe do some other bits. You say that, but then you've got Zoe Saldana, who then was a major character in the film that took Avatar's record briefly. Which yeah, is Gamora no. in Endgame. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, Zoe Saldana is such an interesting one because obviously she's probably more known for her like characters, the fact that she doesn't look like any of her characters now. Yeah. Obviously, yeah, like her two biggest are Neytiri and Gamora, where she's just in various different colour schemes. She and... does have a Hura, though. Yeah, yeah, I suppose. Yeah, that's another. Wow, yeah, she, I did an episode on her recently, and her career is ridiculous because she was in the yeah. first Pirates of the Caribbean as well, which is madness. Oh wow, I yeah, I didn't know that one. <laughs> yeah, because I just only a seen small her. I just seen her in Star Trek, of course. So I didn't quite make the connection. I think when I first saw Avatar, but I, she wasn't quite a you know like she definitely has grown in stature since then. I'm I will say though, she is fantastic in Avatar. Like Sam Worthington, I'd say he's fine. He's we often say that on this podcast, a character, an actor is like he's not necessarily a good actor, but he's a charming actor, and sometimes that's all you need for a leading man. Like I will say, there are a lot of lines where his Australian comes through his American accent. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's a hybrid accent, definitely. Yeah. It's, it's, but hey, I, I think they that's never part say of the charm he's not. They never explicitly yeah. say he's not from part Australian. So sure, why not? Whereas, yeah, like Zoe Saldana really inhabits like the character of Neytiri. She's so emotional and so raw and like believable. Yeah, really, really good. Mm. Oh, okay. Now, now I'm. I was before he started recording. I was telling Luke about my pagoda climbing dream, and yeah, I'm like, okay, that must be because I watched a Navi climbing around on all those rocks. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, I just had an image of, of her doing that because, of course, she would. So, yes. <laughs> and then there's the truly big names that all have relatively small parts. Um, of of course, Sigourney Weaver. We'll give her a bigger than small part in this one uh, for sure. But, um, yeah, yeah. So I th- think I'm stealing this from you, Sean. But is it right that James Cameron has said that? Uh, Grace is like his self-insert character. So 
this is a really interesting thing. I've only found this quote in one article. Okay. <laughs> I had to do a lot of searching for this article. But I remember <laughs> reading it like months and months ago being like, yeah, this is really interesting. And it makes sense because her character is um, Grace Augustine. She's like the 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 person who's like pushing for look after the environment you know Mm. don't destroy the land that we've just visited (laughs) and it kind of makes sense that Cameron would self-insert himself into the film in a way and by putting himself as her character he's sort of being like yeah like I'm the level-headed person trying to be like hey look let's not destroy the whole place maybe we can learn something from it got himself shot yeah 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 (laughs) (laughs) but yeah Uh, I don't I, I guess I should look at her thing or filmography, but yeah, I, I do remember when, when I saw Avatar kind of being like, whoa, oh, I haven't seen her for a while because I guess on my personal radar, the last one that I'd really thought about was Galaxy Quest. Yeah, was Evolution before or after Galaxy Quest? A little bit after. after. A little bit yeah, after. I think she's like, not even in that much, is she? Yeah, but that's, that's about the same time. And I, I do remember that being a great movie, but I haven't seen it since it was like, you know, maybe new on DVD. So. Yeah, I think I think she'd been doing a lot of sort of cameo stuff, but not playing big roles. That sounds likely. Yeah. I mean, maybe she was just taking it easy. I think she could afford to by the time the 2000s rolled around. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, like she had a career in like the 80s, 90s, which is like so incredible that, yeah, she could take it easy. Let, let her have a rest. Why not? <laughs> oh, she was in Be Kind Rewind. I forgot about that. Okay. Oh, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> that's good. I like that one. The Village, which I think a lot of people decided to forget about after I saw it. Um, yeah. And before that, yeah, we go all the way back to uh, Galaxy Quest. Yeah, okay. There you go. <laughs> no credit. Oh, wait. Was Evolution before? Are we, oh, I don't think she was credited for that, oh, at least not officially. Have I made up that she was even in it? <laughs> I, think you, I think you made up she was in it, to be perfectly what? honest. <laughs> I'm going to go with that because IMDb would list the uncredited roles, wouldn't it? <laughs> they usually do. Oh, I know what I'm thinking. I don't know why I thought Evolution. I think I'm thinking of Paul, where she shows oh. up briefly at the end. Very That's different what I had film. in mind. Yeah. Okay. I had okay, Paul in mind go. as well because she shows up as like an FBI agent or yeah, something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You've got Michelle Rodriguez in this film just playing Michelle Rodriguez. So, well, she has to get killed, right? Yep. <laughs> I think she dies in everything. Um, well, some t- at least in Fast and Furious, she dies and comes back. Okay. So she's, so she's also Jesus then. Okay. Yeah. She's my <laughs> personal cool. Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah, she's... I mean, because yeah, Lost, she showed up, I think, to the same thing. What, how many movies did she do that in? <laughs> it, it's a trope. so It's definitely uh, a trend of hers, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, who else is uh, Giovanni Ribisi. That's a, that's a weird one to see, because he's a very, like, around 2000 actor, right? He, this is already... Although, uh, I was about well, to say, he's already passed his sell-through date, but I, I was looking at his thing and seeing he's on the uh, recent show, The Offer, which is... Uh, I guess a, a dramatic retelling of the making of the Godfather, I believe. So okay, yeah, yeah. Isn't he also good Ted? About. Well, dude, that's a really long time ago, isn't it? <laughs> but yes, plus, yes. Well, plus Ted is like a big nostalgia piece, I guess. So. Right, right. That doesn't so. suggest that he's modern. <laughs> 
But I remember when I yeah. saw Avatar already being like, oh, there he is. I remember him. It was, it was He was already nostalgic for me when I first saw Avatar. So I basically just knew him from Friends when I saw him in Avatar. Uh, okay. I was basically just Genuinely, like... that's like all I remember him from. <laughs> and I think he's, you know what? I think he's done a TV series. It was on Amazon or something. Um, something Pete. I can't remember what it's called. Mm. Lucky Pete. I think you're right. Yeah. Something... I just sort of remember. Basically, I think he's like a gambler or something like that, I think. He, he's the guy in the not cool chair in this movie, I guess. The mm. other big <laughs> role in this film, I literally just know from this, this film, which is Stephen Lang as Colonel Quaritch. Um, and he looks like he could be one of James Cameron's CGI creations because he's just such a perfect, big, buff, chiseled, square-headed. He looks exactly like Chip Hazard from Small Soldiers. Yeah, <laughs> you know like... what? That is ex- if you if you had to like re- yeah like do a human cast for the small soldiers, perfect. Yeah, spot on. The guy and this is the thing as well. I can't remember. I think he was like in his like late fifties when he filmed it as well. Mm. And the guy is ripped, like, nice ripped, ripped like Arnie levels. Yeah, yeah. Because there's a certain level of oh, should they? You know, you you go get the army right. But he, he, I don't think he's just at that ripped. So, well, also, I don't think you hate. could, you couldn't hate Arnie enough. That's true. Like, yeah. I know Arnie has played villains before, but I don't think he can play a proper villain anymore because, like, even as the villain, I'd be rooting for him because he's Arnie. Mm. He'd have yeah, to I... do some like real heinous shit just to like make the audience hate him. <laughs> Whereas this guy, he's just, yeah, he just is the military. Like, mm. Well, I'm sure we'll talk about this later, but people go on the old, the crap comment of, oh, no one can name any characters from Avatar. It's because you don't need to remember this guy's name. He is just the army. <laughs> soldier man. I so oh, I don't know if you guys have seen him, but he was in Don't Breathe. He was... Oh, um, is he the, the old guy in the that? He's the blind guy. Yeah, he's the blind wow. guy. Yeah, he didn't look quite as ripped and tough and vibrant in that guy but he is creepy in that movie Mm. okay yeah this guy was born to be a villain (laughs) yeah (laughs) oh i had most actually um i i guess if you he's not quite as reprehensible in this series but a few years ago for some reason i watched terra nova where he is one of the leads which was Mm. um uh, I think it was Spielberg produced. Although oh, I don't well. think he, got his, he didn't get his hands dirty with it. So yeah, um, <laughs> but he's it got had, a you know... film coming out this year where he plays the title character, old man. Well, I guess he's an old man, so it works. <laughs> sure. Keep keep it simple, you know. Don't overcomplicate yep. it. Oh, he's in the Conan the Barbarian remake as Kalar Zim. I just wanted to say the name Kalar Zim because I I just found it. <laughs> Yeah, but there is a lot more cast, um, particularly made up of like uh, African actors and Native American actors who are all Navi. Mm. And it's so easy to forget that these actors are in the film because they they're very convincingly just a bunch of aliens. But they're all played pretty well. Um, I don't know any of them from anything else. You do if you've seen the boys. I haven't. Everyone keeps telling me I need to see the oh. boys. Okay. <laughs> so, so um, okay. 
Um, Sute is uh, played by Laz Alonso, who plays, <laughs> which is the weirdest, sorry, I'm going to tell you, it's the weirdest name in the boys. Mother's Milk is his name, M.M. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> and it, it's the weirdest <laughs> name. I don't even look. Someone in the cop who knows comics is gonna know what why it's called why his name is that. Not a clue <laughs> over here. Um but yeah, he's in it and he's so good. Great stuff. Okay. I the Red Hot Chili Peppers album. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that could be a connection, but yeah. Mm, or maybe. Or maybe he's really into the chili peppers or something. Um <laughs> From what I've heard about the boys, there's going to be some real creepy, fucked up reason he's called Mother's Milk. Oh I, yeah, I'm sure okay. there is. I, 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 yeah, I can just live in my own little bubble of um naivete. Then I don't think I said that word right because I just woke up. Okay, <laughs> that's right. You're an American. We'll let you off. <laughs> We've spent surprisingly long time on the cast, considering this isn't really that kind of film. Yeah, well, there's a lot of people in it. So there are a lot of people in it. To be fair, yeah. When you first go and see this film and the way it was like pushed initially, it was you were going to see this film for the spectacle and the effects. And obviously in 2009, they were absolutely mind-blowing. How do you find the effects watching it today? Now, I watched the extended one and definitely there were some dodgy shots. I didn't do like you didn't watch the theatrical again, so maybe you can tell me if the extended has like some slightly rougher shots. Um, so the, the Earth stuff is great. only in the extended, and the Earth stuff doesn't look great. And I can see why they cut it. How about the spaceships? Those those are not in theatrical because those look like almost like Babylon Five gnarly to me. Watching. Oh, I didn't find. I thought the spaceships look fine. Okay, I, I guess. I I think, maybe there's a couple, couple extra spaceships. Maybe like right at the start. Yeah, I think yeah. there may be a couple extra spaceship shots in the extended. Yeah. And those are kind of rough. And um, human and Navi shots often were kind of rough looking, which I mean, they'd still look weird now. So um, it's, you know, a little more finesse, but that's something so hard to mesh. What I found was that the first like 30 minutes of the film, the effects weren't landing as hard for me. And I think all it was was I had to get into the film. Like, once I was engrossed in the film, I wasn't looking for, like, oh, is that lighting correct? Oh, is that texture a bit weird? And I was just into it. Whereas at the start of the film, when you're first seeing the um, the avatars and they're wearing more human-like clothes, you're looking like, oh, that T-shirt doesn't quite move right, and that's that's a bit dodgy. But once I was engrossed, I'm not thinking about any of that. And I think that's one of those things that it doesn't matter how good CGI is, because your brain is telling you it's not real, it never quite looks real. Yeah, what I was thinking is, you know, I'm watching a Blu-ray, right? And I'm thinking it's mm. a, there's a little too much crispness sometimes, which was, I guess, how it pops out when you saw the 3D presentation mm. on a flat screen on Blu-ray. It looks. I was almost wondering, I wonder if this actually would be better to watch on DVD for slightly hazier video. Plus some edges a little bit, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 
I think it's interesting but... as well. Like we've had the um, they did the re-release, and mm. I so they upgraded the graphics a bit on it. Okay, <laughs> which I I thought was interesting. Um, so when yeah, when it came back to the cinemas in September, they did the re-release in 3D. You could go see it 2D as well. Um, I saw it in 3D with, and it wasn't the extended edition. It was still the theatrical cut, but it did look impressively fresher. I would say. Mm. I think it was a lot more to do with. I think it's that thing about depth. 3D is such like a weird thing to like manage a lot of the time, especially because a lot of films are like filmed with 3D not in mind. Obviously, mm. this is probably like one of the only exceptions where they were like, "Yeah, we we know we're gonna want it to play in 3D for audiences, so we're gonna like take time and effort to make sure it looks 3D." So it's more about the depth. And obviously, like the scenes in the jungle where you've got like things in the foreground, a lot happening in the background as well. I think that helps. I think it does bring a lot more life to it. Mm. Yeah, the I was going to say, basically, from the moment you meet Nitiri, I I think the film looks perfect from then onwards, because what you're seeing is just you're too mesmerized to think about the effects, basically. And like the world that's being created is like Matt's, like Matt said, you need sequels because you want to see so much more of this world. It's absolutely gorgeous. Um, like uh, maybe the mistake I made with the effects this time is I, I was telling you last week I read the uh, Space Odyssey making of two thousand one book. Watch two thousand one <laughs> again, where all the effects still look perfect fifty years later. <laughs> so <laughs> you know, like even Avatar can't quite hold up to that. I guess. <laughs> well. It's interesting you say that because I feel like Avatar is sitting in a bit of a 2001 place for us where no film since Avatar has matched Avatar because no one else will spend the time and money that James Cameron gets away with spending. <laughs> like mm. people are complaining a lot recently about the Marvel movies effects. And like, yeah, that's what happens when you pump out three a year. <laughs> Whereas <laughs> three a year is like underselling it nowadays because obviously it's free yeah. free movies but then it's like the four tv shows plus two yeah, specials yeah, yeah. on top of that and it yeah like no wonder everyone's so like the vfx teams are just absolutely depleted they're so tired yeah but i've I... noticed on your podcast you're running into the same thing me and matt run into where we're not talking about the mcu but everyone constantly brings up the mcu to compare other films to. this is yeah like that's that's the only thing that's even tried to challenge it in a way. I suppose mm. like visually, the only other things I can think are like um, anything uh, Delhi Villeneuve's brought out, like June mm. or Blade Runner. That's the only other things that have really tried to challenge in that sci-fi sense. But yeah, like Marvel's the only thing in terms of like pure like spectacle and scale that's ever tried mm. to challenge Avatar in that time. I think the reason, and Matt will back me up on this, the reason I don't count Dune or Arrival as matching Avatar is because there's no colour in those films. <laughs> Man. Yeah, yeah, you need some blues. <laughs> I, I yeah. love Dune. I absolutely adore Dune. But there's an awful lot of brown and gold and yellow in that film. Yeah. Arrival's so good. But yeah, it is like, it's visually interesting for like the first like shot where you see the ship. And then the rest is kind of like, yeah, okay, cool. Just back to sort of like in the room. Yeah. <laughs> I, I guess I sealed the deal on my Marvel fatigue a few weeks ago when you were like, do you want to go see Wakanda forever? And I was like, I feel like I want to say yes, but I just don't. <laughs> mm. Well, 
um, I think I messaged you this, Matt. Wakanda Forever, I, at the time, I was oh, this is good. But I was thinking the whole time, like, this film's going to look like shit in two months. Because are they seriously trying to do an underwater village like two months before James Cameron brings his one out? It's, <laughs> it's really rough timing. And Aquaman learned the lesson that they because they were going to release the same day. Oh, uh, Aquaman wow. 2 was going to release the same day as Avatar. <laughs> and I, but DC were just like, nope, we, we we're not even gonna try because we we are doing a different game here, and it's we're not gonna win. Well, and also as I understand it, DC has just given up releasing movies for a little while. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're they're up in a break. Well, but, um, everything has. I mean, like like you live across from a the theater. It's been all like revival showings for the most part. Yeah, <laughs> they do a they do a classic movie every two weeks. So that's all I've been watching recently. Yeah, yeah, Hollywood is uh, finally, I guess, ground to a bit of a halt still. So, um, mm-hmm. I mean, there's just so many other things now to to get into. So, I it, it will be interesting if uh, after you know the the way of water does manage to spark up some uh, cinema love again, because because Marvel seems to have lost the ability to do that. Uh, Star I, Wars is like okay, we do TV now, so and that that's what people have been watching. I would say that I don't think Avatar, Way of Water will touch Avatar, but. Top Gun did like crazy numbers. So I think anything that just challenges Marvel is going to get people into the theaters at this point. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I like think... people keep underestimating James Cameron, and I think he's going to get us again. That was a weird comment I got from my dad on Maverick, though, because he had just watched it. He was like, oh, it's pretty good. Too much spectacle. I'm like, that was the point of the movie. <laughs> <laughs> Too much spectacle. <laughs> what? <laughs> That's the we, first time I've ever heard that mention. We want to watch the jets fly around for forty minutes. That's the point of the movie. <laughs> no, I wanted to really get in, uh, get deeper into Maverick's character. Is what I wanted. <laughs> what makes him tick? Why doesn't he like rules? <laughs> we should flash back to him depression. at school. <laughs> yeah, Where's, we needed more of the first Top Gun. I really wanted to see more of like, let's let's drag Val Kilmer out and make him <laughs> suffer on camera for us. That's what I wanted. <laughs> oh, dear. So I think we've come to the daring conclusion that Avatar, pretty good special effects. Mm. You know, that's... Uh, you, no one would say that's the consensus or anything like that. You know? <laughs> for me, the bit that I really dig is the creature's um, like I do two other podcasts, one about Pokemon and one about Monster Hunter, where it is literally just every episode I get deep into one of the beasts, like mm. the design and everything. And you could you could probably do a podcast like that on Avatar mm. because there's so much design into the creatures. Um, with the diff, like just even like they breathe differently to creatures on Earth, and they have the six limbs and stuff, which I did see someone point out. The Navi don't look like they come from the same planet as everything else. <laughs> it, it doesn't explain why they have four limbs and everything else has six, and why they breathe through their nose, but nothing else does. It's, Maybe they'll cover yeah. that plot point. I don't know. They, they got Maybe. like three or four movies now to yeah. uh, work that out. <laughs> Maybe Awa deliberately grew them to look like humans so that she could win Jake over in the future. <laughs> I mean, if we're, if we're talking out of universe, I'm sure it's probably just a, a an executive somewhere was like, man, we, the, people aren't going to like it if you try and make us like six, yeah, six, yeah, six yeah. legged aliens. Well, they um, are they are supposed to be like 
humanity, right? This is a humanity yeah. that didn't lose its way like we did. Yeah, exactly. So as as a film, as a piece of fantasy, it makes sense. It's just funny that they went so alien with the rest of the planet and then not quite as alien with them. I will mention another thing, which I, I was talking to someone else about this recently, um, and it was that some of the Na'vi have feathers in their clothing. There is mm. nothing on that planet that has feathers. Oh, <laughs> yeah. So this is a... <laughs> yeah, that- this is a- Interesting conversation to be like, is there leaves on a tree that just look like feathers? Because the arrows have just... all have feathers as well, yeah. Yeah, yeah, like so they've come from somewhere. We don't know where. I, and maybe that will just, you know, like a chicken's just going to show up at some point. Uh, maybe it could be For some reason, uh, watching it this time, I just kept noticing um, the the uh, Teary's miracle cloth Oh, the, the never bounces off her nipples. Yeah, 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 yeah. I was like, that, that's... <laughs> apart from that one shot have... that you can find freeze framed online, if you want. Oh, I didn't bother with that. <laughs> <laughs> no, at the end when she puts on that like bra thing, I'm like, oh, she finally put on some clothes, right? <laughs> right. That that's made of the same material, but I mean, yeah, I don't know why that. Well, I half know why that stood out, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I was just like. That, that I don't know why I noticed that so much this time. That, that's not how things work. So, but <laughs> obviously you got to keep your your rating. So I get it. But she's got some tape under there. <laughs> um, I was just hearing about um, in the old plant Hollywoods where they'd have the the nude Sylvester Stallone um, petri dish demolition oh. man like hanging yeah. above you in most of the restaurants, and then they just had this weird like not quite a thong. It's just like a little patch of black to a. Uh, you know, cover his junk, and it it made it look like creepier that it was there. <laughs> you know, it's like when you censor things, it makes it things worse. Yeah. <laughs> so you you could have eaten with your family right under a naked wax Sylvester Stallone there. That was, maybe that's I the did dream in the nineties. I think I might have in the nineties. <laughs> what I don't want is the planet Hollywood where you can eat off the naked wax Sylvester Stallone. <laughs> yeah, turn it into a table. <laughs> That's like I will say though, thing. visually, I think the creatures in this film are incredible. Audio-wise, they basically just reuse sound effects from Jurassic Park, like yeah. every monster has for the past thirty years. What I mean, but then do you just like it's perfection? <laughs> do you mess yeah. with it in a way? <laughs> like the the horse things just straight up make the raptor noise, and I'd almost say that's like a a tribute, maybe because mm. it's so exactly the noise. But yeah, I would like to see something. Well, I guess things do use different sounds because sometimes they use Transformers sounds instead. But those are like the two sounds things can make in films, Transformers or Jurassic Park. I'll put you on the spot then. Give give us the new monster noise. That's wrong. We've got whales in we've got whales in the next one. So that's uh, true, yeah, maybe yeah. maybe that'll age very well. I was gonna say it's Scooby Doo after doing an eight ball with Shaggy. <laughs> <laughs> Roll, Jake, sorry. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know why my, my last on my own notes for, for this viewing, my my last note of the entire film, which was like one in the morning, is Jake Solly. Matt 
Damon. I I, I don't know why. <laughs> well, Matt Damon was going to play Jake Sully. That's why. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, and he was going to get 10% of the, the profits oh, uh, at the box office. So he would have been... He, He's talked about it in like a talk somewhere, which is basically him admitting that he made the most expensive mistake ever because it mm-hmm. cost him like $270 million. Yeah, he would have been able to buy role. a small country now. But <laughs> again, that's, could have bought a that's, zoo. that's too <laughs> yeah. much marquee, isn't it? Uh, Statless. Would, would that work? They're, they're yeah, I think I, well, well, the example I used was Leo, but I think Matt would fit exactly as well. You'd be looking at him as Matt Damon the whole time. And like Matt Damon's kind of a smart guy. Like I don't think he'd come across as like a complete idiot jarhead in the way you need him to. <laughs> I mean, if they got Team America Matt Damon in to play Jake Sully, it could have worked, but not necessarily <laughs> real Matt Damon. So they have like a marionette in for for Jake Sully. <laughs> what happens when he get, is he still like just a normal Navi or is he also a marionette? No, the, the Navi is still equally good effects. It's just the human is a little pup. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, there we go. We found a way to, to improve the movie then. Okay, cool. Uh- definitely have to talk about the cultural status of this movie um i, I didn't listen to quite as much as luke did but you have I, I the ones i went straight to were the uh the you know 2008 or 2009 versus now cultural reverberations of avatar because yeah it's weird it's it's people don't well you talk about a lot and people are talking about it again because the sequel's out but people kind of scuttled it to the back of their brain. Even when I think James Cameron, I'm, I'm thinking straight T2 aliens most of the time. Mm. I have a couple of theories about it. The first one, the nice one is just that because it's such a unique cinema experience, like we talked about, most people don't rewatch this film at home on DVD. Like you want to see it in a theater. So I think people saw it that one time in 2009 had a great experience, but then like, it's not a film they're rewatching over and over, so they're not talking about it in the same way as a Star Wars. Um, it's like it's like going on a vacation rather than like watching a film. It's just a nice, happy memory at the back somewhere. The other thing is, I suspect that a lot of the like this film, like oh, it's just Fangali, oh, it's just Pocahontas, oh, it's done. I think that might have been paid for by certain companies that might earn mine certain uh, chemicals from the earth who don't want us to like this film <laughs> i don't want to say you're right but maybe you're right like, you know hmm, it's, i it's wonder so why, interesting, right wonder like, why oil protesters do really dumb things it's almost like someone wants us to think they're idiots and is paying them to do really dumb things well the ones in uh was it north or south dakota a few years ago yeah there was like i, I remember that you the protesters basically couldn't have their cell phones because there were signals brick walling them or just overclocking their phones 
so everyone's batteries were like running out instantly it was, it was really yeah like obviously there's some big money going into uh, shutting those things down well recently there was all the protests where they're like throwing oil on paintings or whatever and everyone's like that's dumb why are you doing that that's not helping your cause totally paid off by oil execs <laughs> like blatant yeah, there's a paper trail it's not even a conspiracy yeah it's all it's all linked up and that you know yeah there's so many question marks over it and it is yeah so interesting that you mentioned that and how yeah like avatar suddenly had like had a really bad rep before it even came out like mm. everyone already had these ingrained opinions there was the whole there's a whole south park episode about how it was just fern gully and that happened before the movie even came out so you know th- things had been bedded in quite early on to sort of like maybe put people on the uh the back foot to be like oh maybe i should question like what do i really believe the message of this movie and i find that annoying because it's so reductive because you there's only like eight stories that humans tell you could do that for any film right oh star wars it's just the hidden fortress it's just lord of the rings but in space like but the characters and the world that's created is so interesting like fuck off (laughs) (laughs) i mean yeah like some of the some of people's favorite movies like the lion king it's hamlet you know, we have yeah, well, about 50... The Lion King, it's uh it's Cobra the White Lion, but uh, well, no. yeah, exactly. Like Kimba the White Lion, and, sorry, but yeah. And <laughs> you yeah, like if you consider like how many versions of Seven Samurai there are now, mm-hmm. you know, like <laughs> it's crazy to think that people like Avatar is one of the only films that kind of has this against it constantly. Mm. And it's really interesting as well that they say it's always the same three films as well, which is it copies the story of Fern Gully. It was the story of Pocahontas and of Dancing with Wolves. If it's copying the story of all three, it's not copied. <laughs> I mean, that's a big yeah. old movie. <laughs> if it's putting all three of those into it. Well, the other thing is that feels like it's deliberately trying to say that those three films are not worthy. Hmm. Which again feels like a deliberate, like, let's make it a laughing stock. You're not allowed to take seriously this story of, hey, we did some fucked up shit to a lot of indigenous people around the world. At the same time, though, uh, Avatar does continue the trope of a white man will save them all. So I actually, <laughs> I definitely used to think that. I, I mean, think it's it, blue, but I, yeah, I think it's a deliberate <laughs> point that because he has to kill the white man to become the hero. Because I think it's meant to be telling us that yeah, we all need. If the Navi had just beaten the humans, it would be too separate. Whereas the point is that Jake Sully as our point of view character has to learn to live like them. So I think it, it's it's not just, I mean, it does have a bit of the old white savior about it. And that is obviously problematic in its own way. But as part of its metaphor of like, we have to learn to live like in more harmony with nature. It makes a certain sense, I think. Yeah, I think it's it's interesting as well. Yeah, like when you consider... Yeah, he has to give up, up his white body, basically, mm. at the end of it. Which, if you compare it to something like Dance with Wolves, he's jumping between... You know, he doesn't. He is mm. still white at the end of that film. That would have been interesting in a Civil War movie if he had made that change, though. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, that, that trope is, you know, well-known. And I think James Cameron's openly admitted, yeah, he used that trope. He, you know, he said there's nothing wrong with using tropes. That is just how filmmaking goes. You have to. You have to. There's not a film with no tropes. Mm. Oh, just to throw back. 
we talked about Dune, Matt, that I was worried about the sequels because the first film is a bit white saviory. Um, apparently the sequels go like, oh no, you're, he's not the good guy. <laughs> so I'm more interested in reading them now. Yeah, I am thinking, I was actually thinking of Dune as well. Um, what Could you make an effective movie if uh, they entered the new society, the Fremen or the, the Navi, and became like a follower of an actual Navi that had skills and such? Well, you know what almost did that? And I think the film, the problem with the film is that it doesn't go all the way, is um, The Last Samurai. So The Last Samurai, he goes, he meets Ken Watanabe's character, who's such an incredible character. This, like, I can't remember the character name in the film, but basically Saigo Takamori is the real guy he's based on. And he's, like, this powerful presence, and he's this really deep, interesting character, and he's got this philosophy. And then in the final act, his agency is taken away, and Tom Cruise basically becomes the leader. And I think, yeah, the film would have worked a lot better if Tom had just been a point-of-view character, and it had really portrayed Ken Watanabe's genuine Last Samurai as this heroic mythical figure, and Tom was just there to witness it. So I think you can do that. Like, if he turned up, befriended Sute, and Sute had been the hero. Uh, but again, I think in Avatar there is something specific it was trying to say, which is why it doesn't do that. Stepping up to the power or whatever, well, I guess. Yeah. Hey, isn't that basically what, like, Transformers does? Sam meets Optimus Prime, and Optimus Prime's the one who kicks ass. Yeah, but in that case, we're <laughs> definitely there for the Transformers, but sure. <laughs> yeah, we're basically so, here for the blue people in this. <laughs> so, yeah. I, trans- I wonder if it's partly to do as well with, like, he is ex-military, and you know, <clears> he was basically used by the military, not only, like, during the film, but he, he lo- you know, he lost his legs beforehand mm-hmm. in, in from from what I can tell, he lost it during a war, which means he's been used by multiple levels of the military just for his body. Mm-hmm. And him being able to like choose what he does with his body afterwards is kind of like a big old, you know, like, hey, look, yeah. you know, um, yeah, uh, retired, you know, ex-military guys can step away from the system and be part of that change, which I think is an interesting message as well in itself. Well, mm. the the not excuse me the navi do make the point like oh you're the first like warrior we've met everyone else has been like scientists mm. at the same time it's like well shouldn't we be sending the like we're, it is like yeah we should be sending the qualified scientists to do this but they really get into it once once a, a warrior shows up and that's who they you mm. know adopt fully into their society yeah yeah, I, I like the... about the whole uh, like glass half. Uh, well, no, I say glass half empty. He says he's just completely empty. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. My cup's empty. Trust me. <laughs> I like that. So it's kind of a sci-fi born on the Fourth of July. Okay. Hmm. <laughs> the other thing, so a lot of the times we've talked about films, and Matt's criticism has been it's too on the nose. I think as a culture, we should ditch the criticism on the nose because on the nose is where you're meant to rain punches. I don't think that's a criticism. (laughs) I think if people like if the highest grossing film of all time was this on the nose and people still didn't get the message, (laughs) maybe it's not on the nose enough. (laughs) (laughs) Or maybe they got the message and just didn't want to remember the message because it's too inconvenient. 
the hope for hopefully the last 30 minutes of way of water james cameron just walks onto screen and like here's my powerpoint presentation yeah we need to save psych. the ocean it right could now be the truth too <laughs> um i i do have to throw out just as a, a fun fact i was watching avatar and i i was also watching the sleeping beauty for another podcast and now i have um like aurora being chased by the by the horse things and avatar in my mind like that i feel like that's why i watched last night so <laughs> <laughs> what a combination yeah that's kind of fun so matt you're into like meditation and so you have a bit of buddhist knowledge tell us about avatars um you mean as in their religion or whatever yeah, before like this film and the Nickelodeon show, I'd only really heard the word avatar to describe like the player character in a video game. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, it's basically the same thing, though, isn't it? Right. If life's a game and you're the, the avatar uh, of your own. Right. So, um, I mean, I, well, in Japan, we have all the sacred sites. Right. So hmm. you've got the tree of souls or, or all that sort of stuff um i do remember going up to near kyoto a place called kurama where someone pointed out oh that's the tree where you know like the universe sprang forth from i'm like whoa why haven't i heard of this tree before you know even if i don't <laughs> even if i don't believe in that and it was like it had been hit like lightning it wasn't like a beautiful soul tree but yeah um that was kind of a ramble i, I wasn't quite sure which direction to take your question <laughs> just just like in like the original sense, what does the word avatar mean? Because I feel like it's entered a lot of people's lexicon just as a sci-fi thing and a technology thing, but obviously it had a long history before that. Yeah, I, well, that's uh, I know way less about you know Hinduism, but the whole like people are going, oh, why do they have so many gods? It's well, every god is just a different you know avatar of of everything, right? It's just mm. seeing the, you know, like that's the old Namaste thing. I see the God within you, right? So it's like I see, I'm looking at your avatar, but I see, I see you. That's exactly what the Navi say, right? Mm. Okay. I don't Makes know sense. if that's a good answer, but I felt like it sounded slightly smarter. <laughs> no, I, I hadn't connected Namaste to I see you, so that that was something cool for me at I, least. I had neither, to be honest. So yay. <laughs> Three the other thing. The other thing I really wanted to bring up in this podcast was since seeing Avatar, I've learned about um, the way that trees actually do talk to each other and form like, I mean, maybe not quite a consciousness, but a forest does have a mind and like different node trees are, share the information between all the other trees. Um, and it is something that like, like Grace says in this film, it's not just a tree. Like one tree is part of the other trees around it. Um, and scientists have like started to say like, hey, you can log in a way where if you avoid these specific trees, you can do way less damage to the forest because they are like hub trees or mother trees. Um, and it takes me back to like the Ents in Lord of the Rings where they the trees talk and think just at a, a time scale that's imperceptible to us. Mm. And like I, that that does ring true. Like, sure, a forest can't think a thought at the speed I can, but over, you know, give it a year and it can react to something and do something to help its fellow trees and have basically thoughts. And I think something that this film gets into is the Navi, like the earliest human cultures, like prehistoric, 
don't see themselves as separate from the other animals on their planet. They're just one of them. Whereas humans, especially in like the Judeo-Christian like culture, there's the animal kingdom and us, and we're above and we're separate and we're different and they're here to serve us sort of thing. And I think just keep surviving on this planet, we need to eliminate that idea. That's and I think maybe cultural. that's the biggest message from Avatar. That's another cultural beat that kind of made a big impression and then kind of faded away. And I'm not saying Avatar has faded away. It's just like, you know, the messages aren't on people's mind. But in the 70s, there was the secret life of plants very much getting into that sort of thing. Uh, mm. There was a book. Stevie Wonder actually recorded an album, The, the Secret Life of, of Plants, because it fascinated him so much. And um, But then everyone was expecting the next big Stevie Wonder album. was like, why did he just put out like two LPs of blips and bloops? So... They were cool blips and bloops, but yeah, it, that confused people because yeah, he had he had been won over, and I guess that would have been James Cameron's Foreman of the Year. So that's certainly a book or some ideas that might have stuck in his mind when directing this movie. Mm. Yeah, it's really interesting. I think, especially when you're talking about like, yeah, that interconnectivity, and also the idea that the Navi are connected to the world and they feel level level playing field and i mm. think that's how um i think people misread avatar um a lot of the time in that we okay this is a this is a humanity thing whenever we watch a film we are immediately connected immediately to the human characters it doesn't mm. matter whether the human characters are good or bad we immediately have a connection to them because we recognize them and it's yeah level we we see them as our equals which is why some people who watch avatar don't see the navi as being like um as uh developed you know like they see them as being less than humans mm. when in reality no they're not they are equal and they just have a different way of life which clearly they love they love how they mm connect with the planet they don't need to advance they don't need human technology to cure diseases or anything they have their own way of dealing with things and i think uh cameron's trying to teach us that to be like hey look there's other cultures who don't want to you know he's you know spoken i think he did a whole documentary it's on the that extended edition on one of the, the other discs where he did a whole trip to brazil um try to save a a, a river from get having a dam built and it's mm. because all these um, these local tribes were going to lose their land because of that dam being built. And he was using Avatar as a way to teach people about that. Well, something I think Western, that kind of shows what he wants. Yeah, Western society in particular just has a tr trouble saying, when is it enough? Mm. You know, there, there's a point where things are enough. Um, I mean, uh, again, technology, I, I swear to God, my phone worked a lot better in 2015 than it does now. You know, <laughs> why can't I just have the one I had seven years ago again? That that worked great. <laughs> oh, that, that being a really that you know vapid example, there's much better ones, but that was just the first one that came to mind. Well, look at the rise of like the mega billionaires we have today. Like, I'm pretty sure it was enough for them a long time ago, but they still want more and more and more. Uh, the whole scientific question of like, just because we can do it, should we? Mm. This is this is it. And I think it's really interesting when you look at the state that humanity is in at the start of Avatar is that mm. they are having to literally go to this other planet and mine its resources because we've screwed up our own planet that much yep. <laughs> that we need to do it. And to me, 
I don't particularly want humanity to win at all in any yeah. way in, a, in the Avatar series. I am more than happy to watch them fail and for humanity to die off in the Avatar universe. <laughs> that is their own doing. Leave the Na'vi alone. <laughs> I brought up Transformers earlier, but the thing you were talking about with people struggle to identify with the Na'vi. I think a lot of people have the same thing. For me, I don't care about the humans and Transformers. The robots are enough of a story for me. Mm. And that's especially because I grew up reading Transformers comics, where often there are no humans for 20 issues at a time. Whereas you read a lot of the critical reports and it's like, oh yeah, the robots were talking or something, but the humans, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, no, you don't get it. The film's not about them. <laughs> I mean, yeah, obviously... Just not on the same in terms of storytelling i don't i'm not trying to say transformers <laughs> is on the level of avatar but there are stories there if you actually pay attention to what the robots are saying but no one does i, I but, definitely um, thought it was interesting this time hearing like there's not a not a spot of green on earth anymore which mm. made me think of silent running this kind of having a similar message and a less psychotic yeah. lead so i guess that's cool <laughs> The, the line that I didn't notice before that really, really spoke to me this time, it's a real subtle little moment. It's when Jake is fully getting immersed in the Navi culture and Grace is trying to make him eat in his human body. And he says, like, as a really throwaway line, like, I made a kill today. At least I know where that came from. And that, mm. that just shows that he is, he's thinking like one of them. And he's thinking like a person who does think about where their food comes from and wants to eat naturally. But it, it's said so in such a naturalistic way. It's not like a big line. It's just a genuine reaction to someone who now sees the world that way. And like that's the moment where you can tell he's flipped. And I, yeah, it's a really nice little subtle line that I hadn't picked up on before. I yeah, think that pairs up so nicely with you know, um, yeah, like over the, that time period where he is going into that avatar body more and more. Mm. He's like. His human body is just wilted away. He is yeah. not eating. You know, they complain about him basically stinking up the place as well. <laughs> you know, she fo basically force feeds him because he's not look taking care of himself. Yeah, you know what he doesn't appreciate enough is that if you were on the Avatar program, you get to have two dinners every day. Yeah, man. <laughs> never, <laughs> never full. Always eating. Yeah. <laughs> I'd love time to be sink. able to eat six meals a day. <laughs> <laughs> this is it. You know, you know when you're like, oh, I've finished my food, but I feel like I go for, I, I really want some more of this. This is, you know, I've gone to an all-you-can-eat buffet. All mm. right, I'll be one minute, minute. I go back, get into my avatar body, come back to the buffet. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the amount of times I've been like, oh, that was good. I'm going to get seconds. And it's like, I can only eat one bite of seconds. It turns out I'm full. <laughs> as we're winding up get to the question of does it hold up I, I guess we've been talking about that like half of this entire time anyway um <laughs> yeah this I, is one of those ones where like oh it holds up better than it did when it came out 
Like like Robocop, I think this is a film where like 10 years from now and 20 years from now and 30 years from now, we're going to be living in a shittier, worse world and thinking like, oh, Avatar's even more true than it was when it came out. <laughs> Depressingly. <laughs> Hopefully, unlike Robocop, it will have good sequels. Worry, <laughs> we will find out very soon, won't we? <laughs> mm. uh, Sean, do you yeah, want to throw it, a name? It... Oh, go ahead. Oh, um, I was going to say, yeah, it's interesting you bring up like Robocop and yeah, like those sort of movies which predict the future in a way. And mm. I think Cameron's got a habit with this as well. Like uh, his work with the sort of Terminator and talking about like artificial intelligence and things like that and that interconnectivity of all technology. You know, he kind of predicted all that as well. And, you know, we're, we're heading closer and closer to to that kind of area of things. And yeah, I think with these Avatar sequels, he has a chance of like basically predicting the next like 20, 30 years of human <laughs> human society, um, how things could be about to go. Mm-hmm. So with the new and one, I'm no hoping... one's gonna listen to him. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean I do hope the new one just uh, pushes the, the the good ship major motion picture in a slightly different direction because uh I, yeah, I guess it's just in the eddies right now. So that, that's what's what, really I mean, depressing is that I'm looking at it like, oh, here comes the outsider that's gonna, you know, redirect cinema and save us from the empty. It's it's also Disney. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. They got... You know what? I I will uh, like make you feel po- more positive about it. Disney basically have no involvement in it aside hmm. from the promotional side of it. Oh, I'm it's sure all... James Cameron had an airtight contract that he has oh, total control. Trust me, he <laughs> would not let anyone touch this who he doesn't want to. Um, yeah, he is. He's one of these people. You know, he has a reputation mm-hmm. uh, of some like unhappy execs in previous uh, business deals, and I think just at this point, he's probably like, no, no one's messing with this. This is my baby. You come in for it. I will. You will never see another dime of this. Well, there's the famous story, right, years. where they were trying to tell him what to do with Avatar, and he's like, uh, I built this studio with Titanic. <laughs> like. <laughs> <laughs> well that's the big the big irony of James Cameron is his films have these like anti-capitalist sort of be careful of technology messages. Meanwhile, they make the most money in the world and push the envelope of technology. So And then he gets to dive to the bottom of the ocean. So win-win. Yep. <laughs> yeah. He's a, he's having a good time all round. You know, he gets to make those films and also just, you know, have the best hobbies he could ever imagine, you know. Just do whatever yeah. you want, mate. We did. We um. We covered the abyss recently for this same month, mm. and just I got so much respect for the guy who's just like built a huge motion picture career out of I want to go on submarines. <laughs> Honestly, the the abyss is so good as well. Like that, you can clearly see like the influences of that film where he's like, I've got bigger ideas mm-hmm. than I could do in the abyss. I yeah. can do this with Avatar later on. And I think the way of water is definitely going to include some of the, that elements as well, of especially the underwater technology. Like he he's about to push it beyond anything anyone's comprehension. Yeah. Well, the the only problem I have with the abyss is that it is a very slow film. That's because he could probably only afford to show us a couple of effect shots throughout the film. So hopefully <laughs> he can do a cool underwater film whilst also being interesting this time. Yes. We'll see. A moist film. Um, <laughs> I guess we're going to wrap it up for today. So, uh, Sean, can you tell everyone about your podcast and uh, 
what you do. Well, we already kind of know what you do there, but maybe some more detail. <laughs> yeah, of course. Uh, so yeah, my podcast is Sivako Road to Avatar. Uh, for those who don't know, Sivako translates to from Navi to Rise to the Challenge, which was the whole idea of this podcast, which was that I'm rising to the challenge to learn as much as I can about Avatar in the lead up to, well, first of all, the way of water, but guess what? I'm probably gonna have to just keep doing this podcast for the next eight years with all the other sequels going as well well the um, next eight years yeah. until the next sequel <laughs> oh yeah well it could be an eight year break between them we'll see you know <laughs> it's either every two years or every eight years we'll we'll find out i'm sure but yeah it's it's a good time to like i i list I, I don't just talk about avatar i do cover other topics we've covered other films of james cameron's filmography uh and yeah like we're probably going to just keep exploring different areas over the over the coming months and obviously, we're about to have the release of the new film. Now's a good time to jump on because there's going to be a lot of interesting stuff. Yeah, can recommend. Um, I, I hadn't heard of your podcast until we were like, oh, shit, we haven't found a guest for Avatar. <laughs> and I've binged like five or six episodes in the last few days. So can recommend. But if you've enjoyed this podcast, you can find us on Twitter at MLSFSpod. Or also on Facebook, YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts. Just search Matt and Luke Sci-Fi Sanctuary. And if you want to help support the podcast, find the other podcasts that me and Matt make, you can go to patreon.com slash podcastio podcastius. Rock roll, it's the Marines. So I'm trying to do the new monster. <laughs> I see you, Shaggy. <laughs> Avatar, the way of water.